So we want to thank all of you for joining us this morning. And I think anyone who has children know the different aspirations parents have for a child when they are born. We want them to be healthy. We want them to love God. We want them to find joy and happiness in life, whether they're single or married. And just like a lot of you, when our kids were born, we had dreams. We had big dreams. We wanted them to excel spiritually and physically, intellectually, emotionally. And we did all sorts of things to get them connected with God and connected with each other. We helped them memorize scripture. We took them to Bible bowls. We took them to camps, Christian camps. We served the homeless, took them to Papua New Guinea to serve missions. We did all sorts of things to make sure they were connected with God, to make sure they incorporated godly values, godly habits in their lives. And yet, and yet. So why are we here today speaking on this topic? We have two beautiful children. Aren't they gorgeous? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, um, but they don't currently identify as Christians. And they don't claim faith in God. Uh, Cambria is 29 and Nord is 27. And they're both impressive, talented people, responsible adults. And so we feel incredibly blessed that we have a close relationship with both of them. And yet from late high school, you know, throughout their college years and on, they've gradually abandoned the faith of their childhood. And at first, we spent a lot of time in angst and guilt. We must have done something wrong, right? Uh, we should have prayed harder. We should have spent more time equipping them with apologetics. We should have found better spiritual activities for them to be involved in. We should have done a better job of parenting, passing on our faith. So the pain, it goes really, really deep. But even now, it is hard for me to read the Christmas newsletters that come to our house during the holidays. So many are from Christian friends with kids the same age as our kids, and I really fight feelings of envy and discouragement reading how their adult children are ministering and serving and advancing God's kingdom, because that's what we want more than anything for our children, and we don't get to experience that joy. In 1 John 3, verse 4, the author says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So you probably can identify with how we feel in stating the corollary to this statement, there is no greater sorrow than to hear that my children are not walking in the truth. And for a while, we didn't advertise this fact. You know, we felt it reflected negatively, negatively on us, that our kids no longer believed. You know, they were away at college, or they lived elsewhere, so we didn't have to face questions about, why aren't your kids in church? They're like, well, they're in college. They're okay. you know, um, we were a bit worried because, you know, we're hired to instill faith in the youth and children in our congregation. So what if people lose confidence in our ability to do that because our own children have abandoned the faith. You know, in the book, uh, You Lost Me by Kinnaman, he talks about three broad ways of being lost. One, are nomads who walk away, as you see, walk away from the church engagement, but still consider themselves Christians. And then there are prodigals who lose their faith, and they're like, nope, Christianity, that's not me. Goodbye, adios. And then they're exiles, and they're still infested in their Christian faith, but they feel kind of stuck. Put the pause button on church, and they're stuck between culture and church. And 
Anyway, they're struggling less with their faith, uh, but more with the church and what it stands for, and oftentimes what it's not doing. <clears throat> Our daughter and son, where are they? Our son is a prodigal, agnostic. Daughter is a cross between nomad and exile. And you'll hear more about that as we go on. You know, a few years ago, I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to come clean and share with the congregation, um, you know, about our, our children's loss of faith. Um, I was scheduled to speak on a panel during the sermon time at our church, and through tears, I talked about the pain we feel because our children are not currently believers. Everyone was very loving and encouraging afterwards because we are so blessed to be a part of a very non-judgmental, you know, loving church family. You know, there was a time ago. Uh, when we were asked to present a workshop on parenting at a church where we had done a very well-received workshop on marriage. But we shared with the minister that our own grown children were not currently believers and asked him, do you still want us to come? And he said he would ask someone else to do the workshop <laughs> since uh, some participants wouldn't find us very credible. You know, that hurt, but we totally understood. We totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Our goal today is to give you some hope give you some help and maybe provide you with some tools for walking this path that many of us are on. Are on. And it's a painful path. Um, I don't want to minimize that. Uh, now, because we have such a short period of time, uh, our presentation, we're just going to focus on dealing with the loss of belief of adult children rather than any destructive behavior that might be associated with that. And so, for lack of a better term, we're going to call them prodigals from time to time. And so you'll hear that word come up throughout our presentation. So not everything we say today will apply to every person who has left the faith of their childhood. Each person is unique. Each person has a one-of-a-kind journey. Each person has their own story. But there are some similarities. There's some similarities among the exiles and nomads and prodigals. So as we share in broad generalities today, choose the ones that you find most helpful and then apply them to where you are with that child of yours or that young person you know who's left the faith. And we're, we're pulling a lot of our um, info in the presentation from this book, um, Engaging Today's Prodigal. It's, I don't know if it's Carol Barnier or Carol Barnier, but um, I love the book because her dad was a pastor uh, so she was a pastor's kid, she grew up in the church, super involved, her parents walked the talk, they weren't the kind that were one way at church and one way at home, she, she and her parents were beautiful Christian examples. Uh, she loved the church, um, and yet she walked away from her faith and became an atheist for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And so we really resonated with a lot of the things she had in her book, and so that's what we're going to share a lot of those with you today. So we'll start with some myths first. So the myth that I used to believe, until I had no kids, was perfect parenting makes for perfect children, right? Well, it's not so, because Adam and Eve were parented by the perfect parent, and yet they went astray. Um, your child has the capacity to make a bad choice in opposition to good parenting. The influence of parenting is strong, but it's not compelling. And yes, you did make mistakes in your parenting, we all do, but odds are those mistakes are not so grave as to be the reason for the poor choices your child is now making. Free choice is guaranteed for every individual, no matter their upbringing. 
And so just a quick poll, how many of you can think of a child who grew up to be a very strong Christian adult and yet they had terrible parenting? Think of any? Maybe some you've read about, you know. And then can you think of children who abandoned their faith, who grew up in great loving Christian homes, and you know their parents did a great job? Raise your hand. Can you think of anything? Okay. So it kind of shows you how this is how this plays out. Myth number two. It's all my fault. It says so in the Bible, right? Yeah. Yep. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and he's older, he will not depart. You know, Proverbs are sayings that in general are true, but are not intended to be promises. <laughs> Proverbs 10, 4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Have you ever seen a hard-working person who is yet poor? Or a single mom who works three jobs who is yet poor? Or a migrant worker picking strawberries 10 hours a day who is yet poor? You have raised your child in the way that he should go. Now be at peace with that. Sit down, let go of that burden and that angst. And know you did the best job that you could do. Now it's between your child and God. I remember the first thing that made me start letting go of some of my guilt. And um, there's this great speaker called Tony Campolo that we would uh, listen to at New Specialties Conference way back in the day. I don't even know if he's still alive. But um, he was a professor of philosophy at is it Eastern I University. Think Eastern University. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, right, yeah. So, um, loved him. Great Christian man. Um, and, so, and so he raised his son, Bart Campolo, also to be a great Christian. Bart Campolo was a minister in the church. He spoke at conferences just like Tony Campolo, very strong um, in the faith. And yet, Bart, his son, uh, abandoned the faith and became a secular humanist. And he and Tony, he and his dad, Tony, had all these conversations. And it led to a book. And they, they did a book. And I only thought this this morning, so I would have brought the title, but... Um, they, have, they do this back and forth in the book. Tony Campolo says something, Bart rebut, rebuttals in parts of and Tony rebuts it, and it goes on. And I think, wow, if Tony Campolo can raise a son who actually was a minister and loved, oh, was converting people, and then that guy became a secular humanist, um, then how could I hold myself that responsible you know, for uh, my kids um, are, are present? So, oh, so myth number three, I can rescue him. You know, we cannot save people who don't want to be saved. In fact, you can't save anyone at all. If a person is ready to be saved, they might possibly allow you to be the vehicle. But you cannot take anyone anywhere against their will. When our kids were younger, we couldn't direct their paths. Our influence was almost total. But as they grew older, our power decreased as their own increased. So don't continue doing the same things that worked when your kids were young. It is unproductive and unhealthy for all concerned to continue using a method that no longer works. And just remember, the role of Messiah has already been filled. <laughs> you need a new job. <laughs> method number four. If I say the perfect thing, my child will finally get it. Any VE state is probably something he has known for years. The ball has to reach its conclusion before the pitcher, can, pitcher, pitcher, baseball pitcher, can evaluate the success of the pitch. 
Your child's chosen direction has to play out before she'll be even willing to consider the possibility that it may have been a poor choice. Actual moment that causes a person to turn from a destructive path to make a true and final move in the right direction often turns out to be a prompt or catalyst that you would have never predicted. Imagine it from your child's perspective. It seems to her you only have one thing on your mind. Finding and using the perfect phrase to finally wake her up. <laughs> Often it'll turn out to be someone else, not you. That'll be the source of your child's turnaround. Let go. Let go of making your child your project. And try to remember how to just how to just talk with and listen to them, especially listen to your child. Yeah. So we want to go do some do's and don'ts. We're gonna kind of go through these pretty quickly. Yes. Do advise, don't badger. End of discussion. Do advise, don't badger. Saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again is not going to produce the desired result. When you do, you've crossed over from advising to badgering. I would ask for a show of hands here, but no. You don't need to do that. Your child already knows how you feel about any bad choice he is making. So try this. I'm going to pretend this is my child. Well, you already know how I feel about such things. And I'm sure repeating it would only annoy you. <laughs> but I'll always love you. You will always be my son. Or daughter. Or daughter. <laughs> I'm just reading the script, okay. Now, now they can stop straining against the leash that you've been tugging on. And they'll soon realize that any bad or poor choice they find themselves in is not because of parental pressure, but because of their own decision, their own choices. So, I was going to say, so, I'm going to emphasize, do not badger. If you choose to badger, you just might experience something unexpected. <laughs> Yeah, your, your adult child, they know your values, what you approve and disapprove of. So you don't, you don't need to point out or criticize what your child is doing that you disapprove of. And about the boundaries part, if your, child, your adult child is still in your home or still has a lot of influence over younger children, then you might need to set up some boundaries about what they can and can't do. But other than that, they're, they're on their own. And they, they can come to you for advice and give advice when you have permission. Otherwise, you stay out of it. Do create a place of connection. Create a safety zone. A place where both of you can go and share and listen and just pour out your heart without fear of being corrected, about fear, uh, without fear of having to hear a sermon again and again. A safety place. 
And then try relating to your child as a person who simply interests you. Step back. See them as a whole person. You know, your child can sense when you're looking at them and treating them like a project. They have this special sense antennas up and they, are, they can figure that out quite quickly when they feel like you're looking at them as something that, someone that needs to be fixed or you see them as someone who is defective. Look for opportunities to affirm your child's good qualities. Make sure your child knows that both you and his childhood home are a safe place. And when they've lived out their current philosophy to its logical or maybe unsatisfying conclusion, you may want to make sure they have a welcoming, non-judgmental place to return to. And all the hard work that you've done leading up to that point is going to prove that to be true. And make sure your child knows they're not a disappointment to you. I mean, they are, but don't let them know that. <laughs> 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 I know it's such a great disappointment to you, and I can never live up to it. I was like, okay, now I realize what I don't need to do anymore. <laughs> so I haven't done that for years, and so that's good. Um, but don't use the phrase, the Bible says. Oh, we, we, where's the Bible I, says one? We went past that. Did I go past the Bible okay. says? That's why I said it. Yeah. So don't I use the phrase, the Bible says. Because your child does not believe in the absolute authority of the Bible, so quoting it will only cause him to tune you out. So feel free to use biblical principles that you find elsewhere in science, psychology, philosophy, statistics, even the media. We've had great discussions with Cameron Nord on things oh, yeah. that from TV shows they've watched or other things, and, and we know this is totally what God is saying, but we don't say that. <laughs> but they're getting that those biblical principles. Um, and don't automatically disagree with every point your child makes. Acknowledge that they bring up very good arguments, because they do. They bring up super good arguments. Um, for now, you are the only Bible your child is reading. Let her see Jesus in your life, your responses, and your love. Yeah. And do sit down and listen. And try to truly listen and understand your child. That is so important. Don't be so eager to jump in with your own point of view, or your own arguments, or jump in to win. You know, after reflecting back what your child shares with you and checking to make sure you've done it correctly, then, then, then ask for permission if you have a different point of view. And if they don't give you permission, don't share it. Wait for permission. That is really, really important. Really important. Resist the time. I'm going to... Resist the temptation, Woody, to give a sermon. Resist. <laughs> Resist. It's not the time for a sermon. They do not have ears to hear. And don't miss the courage in your prodigal. You know, they have stepped away from everything they were raised to believe. And it, that's scary. And it takes courage. Many prodigals know they are losing the approval of parents, the embrace of a well-established network of people, and the patterns and rituals that made up all of their childhood. Um, but the need for a worldview that makes sense to them has pushed them away, even if uncomfortably. So acknowledge to your child that you understand it must have been difficult for them to leave all that was familiar. 
you know, so a point of, okay, I, I get it. That was hard for you. It took courage to do that. Um, that awareness opens up the door of communication. And I think my slides are off a little bit, but anyway, we're going to go to our next one. Oops, no, you got to go back. Can we go back? I go to backwards. Can I can't swipe? go. Can you swipe? Let's see. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, swipe one more. Okay, there. Okay. We did that one, we did that one. I think we'll stop here. As you can tell, I am not the best multitasker. <laughs> Trying to focus on one thing at a time. And uh, we are right in here. But I think we're, this is, this is that slide, so you can slide yeah. again. One more. One more. Thank you for your patience. Yeah. Tell me when to stop. Stop. Good, 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 good. Do love when your prodigal is most unlovable. So Jesus had a deep longing <coughs> to not only locate but also connect with the wavered heart. And he models how we are to relate to those who have left the fold. And our love for our child cannot waver must be clear to not just our child, but to all those other eyes who are watching us. Other eyes who are lost too. Perhaps their friend group, perhaps other people in the church, perhaps other people in the community. When your child's at their worst, that's when they need to know that you still love them, you still value them at their highest point. And do create a support system. You know, if your child develops cancer, is in a car accident, or stationed in the military in a dangerous part of the world, your church community steps up, understands, cares, and provides. But you may not get that same reaction when you say that your child has left the faith. But you need to share it anyway, because there are others in your congregation that are anguishing over a prodigal child. They've just they've been silent. And they need to know that they are not alone. Start a small support group. Or at least choose one other person with, with, who has a prodigal child to share with regularly. You both need that non-judgmental listening ear and support. And then do something for your non-prodigal. Now here's where I think I messed up during a certain segment of our kids' growth and development. Um, where I focused more on one child as opposed to the other. Not good. Make sure you spend focused time, focused attention on your other kids, the ones who aren't detouring. Because if they feel neglected, there's gonna be there's gonna be some kickback from that. So make sure you give attention and time to the rest of your kids, the rest of the ones who've not um, who've not deviated from the path that. God desires for them. And reach out to prodigals who aren't your own. As we said kind of earlier, you may not be the person to reach out to your prodigal. They, there may be so much baggage that they can't hear the truth from your lips. But pray that God will bring someone with just the right combination of personality, interests, and motives to speak to the heart of your child. We've been praying this for several years. Just recently, Cameron said, I've had three conversations the last two weeks about yeah. God or the church or something. I don't know why, where's this coming from. I was like, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, she, uh, no. 
she works in a cannabis dispensary in yeah. North Hollywood. That's a good story to tell. But um, we learned a lot about cannabis and, and the <laughs> <laughs> um, But she, they had a taco truck in the in the back parking lot um, of her day at anyway, and a client was out there, and um, fellow cannabis enthusiast, tattoos. Um, uh, anyway, and Cameron got in a conversation with her, and I don't know. And Cameron said, "I don't know how we got onto it." He started talking about Jesus and God, and, and they said, "I love Jesus." And Cameron's like, "Oh," and she said, "What about you?" And Cameron's like, "Well, I'm, I'm kind of disillusioned with the church." And then the lady said, "Oh, but did you know?" Because Cameron's disillusioned with the church because of restrictions on roles of women, treatment of the LGBTQ community, yeah, not involved in climate change, uh, immigration, uh, social justice, all those things. And so the lady said, "Well, did you know?" Jesus um, had women who followed him. He elevated the status of women. He was like such a proponent. And the camera, I mean, camera calls it. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, <laughs> but she, uh, she couldn't hear it from us. No. Right. But she, she resonated. They said, no. "Oh, this lady. She, she was so in love with Jesus." She said, "No, no, no." And it didn't convert her on the spot, but it was a seed planted. Yeah. Something that really resonated with her. Someone that was like her. In her kind of same same interests and likes and, and what all, not no judgment on anything, was the lover of Jesus. Mm. And she, she discovered that from a person working a taco truck. <laughs> Unexpected. Oh, I did say one thing. And stay tuned to the Holy Spirit's nudging because yeah. you may be the right person to connect with someone else's problem. Exactly. Do learn from your child and acknowledge often what they are teaching you. You know, Cambria Norton, they've taught us so much over the years. I mean, Cambria, okay, like you just heard from that story, she's taught us, you know, well, you hear so much from that story, but maybe we'll tell other stories a little bit later. But she taught us a lot about the LGBTQ community. Uh, she raised, uh, raised an awareness of social issues. She's helped us to be more sensitive to different issues that church for so often is ignored. Norwood, our son, he's given us good advice on investing. And he shared with us just his wisdom about staying calm and not being defensive in difficult situations. They know we value their opinions. They know it. They know that we often act on their advice. Cambria, she used to be extremely defensive about Christianity. In fact, at one time she told us, I don't want you to ever mention the word God. I don't want you to ever mention the word the Bible. I don't, want to, I don't want to hear anything else about the church. Okay? Okay, my girl. Okay, I call her my girl. Okay, my girl. We can, we can do that. But now, she asks us every Sunday. Every Sunday. So how is church? What you guys do at church this week? And we freely share. We have permission now to share. Sometimes, okay, speed up, okay. <laughs> Sometimes we share with our son something we feel is a good uh, apologetic fact that can be used to prove God's existence if we acknowledge it when he makes a good point, a good counter-argument. Often he makes really good counter-arguments. Listening and learning from your children helps to earn the right to be heard. So another piece of advice, don't pull out a list of expectations when your prodigal does return. If your child shares that they have returned to believing in God, don't assume they will pick up where they left off. 
Give them time to deconstruct, re-examine, and make their newfound faith their own. Let them proceed at their own pace. And don't try to persuade, persuade them to believe everything exactly as you do, or even as they once did. They might be at a totally different place. And um, so you need to make room for that. And do not lose yourself during this trial. Do not make being a parent your core identity. If you do, every time they stumble, you find yourself questioning your own value, sinking into depression. If you become consumed in your role as a parent or to a struggling child, you're going to lose sight of all that you were meant to be, that God wants you to be. Remember, your children were never yours. They were never yours. They're God's. And they have to come to God on their own. The one identity that is sounded true and unshakable is that you are a precious child of God. So just a little word of hope. Um, your child may be making some horrific decisions, but if this same child one day takes her heart and hands it over to God, he can astound us with his ability to take these, those same horrid circumstances and use them to make something beautiful and new. God is an artist, and luckily for us, we are his favorite eating. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, this is actually an earlier one from when, when yeah. your child sees something from a different perspective than yeah. you do, and so you, so you might have seen it. I thought it was hilarious. So there's this meme going around. So the wife says, the car's not, she calls her husband, the car's not starting. The dashboard shows the sign of a person sitting on the toilet, which you can see, right? There's your body, there's your head, okay? And then the husband goes, what? Send me a picture. <laughs> After a while, I thought that's what it was, and then, we, then I realized it's a negative four degrees. And so, you know, we look at the same thing and we see something completely different, right? And we need to acknowledge that with our, with our children, acknowledge their point of view, the lens to which they're looking at life, and um, that earns you the right to be hurt. And when they feel respected and valued, you know, and you try to see things through their lenses, it really opens up much better communication. Here's some advice from a former prodigal when asked, how would you advise parents of a prodigal today? The best advice I can give is don't push too hard. That's, oops, that's not, oh man, there it is. Thank you. The best advice I can give is don't push too hard. But at the same time, show your children that though they may make decisions that will affect their lives, they will never do anything to fall out of your love or God's grace. Sometimes we may be stubborn and have to learn the hard way, but as long as we know you love us, we will eventually come back. The fear of being judged as a failure or not good enough is a powerful force that keeps most kids away. Whether we like it or not, we need the reassurance that we are loved, accepted, cherished, and above all, good enough no matter what. <laughs> and then this is um, advice from a professor of ministry at one of our uh, Christian colleges. Our brother Walter Sedeck. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I feel like I said nothing. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so he's at, um, he gave a really nice email. But his third, the third thing he said um, about why adult children leave. There's tons of books on why people are leaving the faith. And they're very good reads uh, to read them. But he just kind of summed it up. He said, third, I would say that our churches have not put forth a compelling meta narrative to participate in. I witnessed so many churches that have been distracted by the smaller issues like women's roles, instrumental music, and different worship style, 
kind of divided and separated churches and they've ignored the larger issues of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, they've ignored the large issues that the larger culture has been asking, like the dignity of humanity, seen through stories like Black Lives Matter, the refugee immigration crisis, homelessness. The church's silence on these things is palpable. I do not need to say we need to preach from the headlines, but we need to not ignore the headlines either. Mm-hmm. Church ought to be a place where young people gain a compass and the tools to navigate and answer these questions and address these issues. The Church of Science has also amplified its irrelevance to young people on these matters that they care deeply about. So that's one thing that maybe we can bring in our churches. Can I just give quotes and go to the comments? Yeah. So we, we do have um, five more minutes, but we wanted to, um, <coughs> if you could keep your comments to like 45 seconds. <laughs> but do you have feedback to, or comments on this or observations or something about your own journey with your own progress here? Yeah. Um, our oldest son has left the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a preacher, yeah. many of the same things you were describing, we were feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, what that experience did, because you said, you know, don't be hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like, you know, Roger, you've been preaching grace, mm-hmm. but you really haven't been accepting it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I realized, mm-hmm. Roger, the preacher, needs grace. Mm-hmm. Just like everyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Thank you, Roomie. Yeah. <laughs> first, first room, first, yeah. My first roommate here, Pepper. I have a son yes. who has recently really been asking a lot of questions and kind of doubting the existence of God and a lot of influence from his wife and those things. And um, one of the a couple of the stories in the Bible that helped me, and I don't say it's from the Bible, but just remember about Thomas, you know, yeah. remember about mm-hmm. his, his doubting struggles, and doubting is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with doubting. Yeah. It doesn't become our faith yeah. unless we doubt it. And so embracing that with them, mm-hmm. embracing the, you know, the, that pursuit of, is there a God? Yeah. What about, I mean, here's a guy that was felt called to be a youth pastor, right? Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, and so Here's where we find him now, and 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 of course the father of the paralyzed young man. The Lord asked him, you know, don't you believe I can heal him? Sure, Lord, just help me with my unbelief. Yeah, right. You know, and so God gives us those examples Amen. that you know, doubting is is okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think most of these principles we need to speak loudly about to parents whose children have not left the faith. Because maybe they're too young to have figured out that they want to or that they need to. Or, you know, you know my kids. Their faith is different from mine. I praise God that they have a faith. I don't know where they, all the influences that got to where they were. But all those things you're talking about, giving them space, uh, valuing their opinion, uh, not preaching at them all the time, is, is something that all parents need to do in order for those, in order for our kids to have their own faith. We have to do all those same things. Um, conversations will be completely different from, from your guys with, with your kids. But we have to do all those same things. Otherwise, they will have a very thin faith. And we've all known people that we grew up going to church with that had thin faith. We're at church every Sunday, 
but it fell apart when, when hard times came. Um, by contrast, I feel like my parents gave me room, disagreed with me on some things, and, but not for the reasons I thought they would. And, and um, giving our kids room to have a, a different view of a similar faith is important. Thank you, Tim. Someone else. It's, it's so hard to resist the urge to rescue because when they're one, two, three, oh, yeah. we're rescuing them all the time. We think. When they were 16, they crashed the car, and we're coming to the rescue. That's, that's our mindset change. Just wait a minute, I'm not rescuing. Hopefully, I'm growing or helping yeah. nature or something else. Amen. Right, right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thanks. I have time for one more comment, then we have to go back to the key. No, actually, I have a lot of, have a, a lot of question mm -hmm. about the myth on number two. Uh -huh. Why do parents blame themselves? Which is a myth. Why put the blame? Because they are hurting, they are lost, they are, it, it feels, or it looks like, or it appears like it's hopeless. You know, so, I was asking myself, why blame me? Why, or blame God sometimes, you know? And that's like, it's like a, a, a red line already, like you yourself will going to lose that faith also. Because you are being influenced of your loved ones, especially your own flesh and blood. So that's my question. And also on the meet number two, did they listen to a different voice? Mm -hmm. Who are these voices? Are these BLM? Is this drug? Is this about equality? Is this about homelessness? Mm -hmm. You know, these are voices mm -hmm. that they are being affected with. And they're trying to reason, and maybe they want to help, and they can't. You know, just like as parents you mentioned about being the prodigal son or daughter, you know. But then on the other side, you keep mentioning about approval, acceptance, listening, uh, fear. You have mentioned all of this, not being judgmental, um, giving attention. You better pay attention. Because my question also, when you brought all this issue, I said, did they see the signal? Did they see the warnings? You know, because sometimes action speak louder, louder than words. You know, for me, the way I, I, I see things, because I, I grew up in a different country, a different tradition, uh, I've seen this happen horribly uh, in my in my own life, you know, and in the lives of other people that I associate with, there are parents. This is true because I came from Philippines. They said, because they're hurting, they feel like they are being betrayed, so they will say to their children, this is very hurtful. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you. And my 
the first thing that came to my mind is a big question. This is their own flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. Why did they say that? What does, why does the parent say it? Mm -hmm. It's simply because when they said, stay away from me, mm -hmm. because their children break their heart. I, they don't want to see they, the way they suffer. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear anything about them because the first thing uh, that happened to them is like you stabbed them so many times already. Right. Yeah. That's how it feels. You break their heart. Mm -hmm. That's why they said, I don't want to see you. It's not me and literally they don't want to see you. Yeah. It's just when they see this happening to you, it yeah. breaks their yeah. heart. Yeah. And that's a, that's it a good really point. breaks yeah. their yeah. heart. Yeah. And we have, we have to cut you off, I'm so sorry. But that's very, very good thoughts. And thank you for bringing up all those, all those things. Maybe we could talk a little more afterwards. Because um, very, very good questions, very good points. Excellent points. And sometimes they do send a signal. But I have a question. How many of you have read or run, run a red light? <laughs> yeah, you saw the signal. Why'd you run it? Right. You thought what happened to everyone else wouldn't happen to you. We want to end with a song that has really uh, spoken to our heart. And um, um, it's one that we want you to think about um, as you think of your own prodigal or the, the young adult that you're thinking about in your life. Um, and then everybody's going to close a very short prayer after wow. that. But just soak in the words to this. Oh, oh there we go. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. And you have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. And you have been so, so
Mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Snow wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. God bless you with the courage and strength needed for the battles that lie ahead. May God gift you with glimpses of your child's heart turning that will sustain you during this difficult season of waiting. May God bring before your child someone who is perfectly suited to influence their journey and create a longing that can only be filled in the arms of Jesus. May you find not only an ability to survive these struggles, but to experience true joy, even now, simply because you are his, a condition that does not change with the state of any of the world's prodigal journeys. And you one day see your wandering child respond to the faith, return to the faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.